Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at Alumni Hall home of the best Georgia gear and accessories that you will find anywhere. I'm your host, Tyler, and back with me today to break down Georgia's huge 30-13 victory over the Kentucky Wildcats inside the friendly confines of Sanford Stadium is my longtime coach, Curtis. And I promise we will break down the game from every angle in just a minute. But first... I want to make sure that you guys know that if you're ever looking to make a trip to Athens for any reason, be it for a football game, visiting friends, family, your students, coming up for a concert, whatever it might be, make sure you book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage right in the heart of Athens. The Normal Town Cottage boasts three bedrooms, a kitchenette, big screen TV to watch all the games, or whatever you might want to be watching, and it provides the comforts of home in a way that, honestly, guys, hotel just never could. It's super clean. It's safe. It's located in an awesome, convenient part of Athens. It also offers free parking on a tree-lined street. So check out the Normal Town Cottage today on Instagram, on Airbnb, or you can also check out the link pinned to our Twitter profile, which is at glory underscore UGA, to book your next stay in Athens today. All right, Curtis. We always seem to run out of time on these recap episodes. There's always just so much to talk about. So I want to go ahead today and get right to it. And let's start here. I said a couple minutes ago at the outset of the episode that this was a huge win for the Georgia program. I know on the surface you're going to be like, well, it's just Kentucky. Like Georgia should be Kentucky. That should happen every single year. So why is this a huge win? But I stand by that. I use that word, huge. I use that intentionally here. So, Curtis, in your mind, am I crazy? How big was that win for the dogs? I don't think you're crazy. I think the biggest thing is, as we'll hear, you know, as we've heard every week from the national media, Georgia's played no one. But realistically, this was a very, very solid Kentucky team. I mean, you got to respect they came in here undefeated. Um, they played a very, they've played a physical brand of football, and they were like one of the, they were one of the re- uh Leading rushing teams in the SEC, especially when you have the leading rusher in um, Chris Rodriguez. Yeah, Chris Rodriguez and, is the leading rusher in the entire league. And it was, it, and this was almost like the definition of a trap game. I mean, you're coming off Auburn, you're one week away from a bye week. As you kind of what you saw with Florida, the way they kind of, I don't even know what they did with that Florida or the LSU game, but the fact is, you can overlook a team that you should beat. Um, so Absolutely. I think it was a huge win all around. Yeah, our, our good friend Josh, uh, he coined a phrase last week, or I don't know if you heard this, but old Georgia syndrome. It's like where we just like can't get over the past where like we know there's always a game where we're going to screw up somewhere like South Carolina a couple years ago, right? So those games Oh, yeah, happen. I mean, when people, when people compliment us, I'm always like, eh, yeah, like I don't like being complimented because it, it like brings up the old Georgia syndrome. Yeah, it does. And, I, and I'm very much in the process. I'm actively trying to – get over that and move beyond that. And I, and I think I'm getting there, but it's, it's weird. Like I, just when I think I'm getting there, I think I'm, then I take like two steps back. So like as this game approached on Saturday morning, I was getting really nervous. Man. I was like, we're the better team. We're the better team. I know this, but and then you see Florida play. You're like, oh my God, like what just happened there? Dear God, don't let something like this happen to us. But I keep going back to, it. I say it every, each and every week, this is just a different team. And I do think this is a massive win. And look, I know it's Kentucky. 
I get that. But this Kentucky program has become a very solid, not an elite program, but a solid program. You're right, Curtis. Well, if, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was like the first time that two 6-0 and SEC East teams have met this far into the season. So right there, that should show correct. that you have to respect yeah, I mean, you can't get stuck. Has Kentucky traditionally been great? No, but that doesn't mean Kentucky's not very good. Guys, in my opinion, I could end up being proven wrong here. This is at minimum a 10-win Kentucky team. They have a very legitimate shot to go 11-1. I mean, I, look at their schedule, Curtis. Who are they losing to? The only game that I think is going to be interesting is Tennessee, and that's just because they can score. I think at Mississippi State could be interesting. I think, I think Mississippi State can beat them. In Starkville, that could happen. I think Kentucky's a better team, but they could lose that game. And I, Tennessee's playing better, but it's in Lexington. So that gives me – right now I'm going to give Kentucky the edge there, especially if they can get Josh Ali back. I still give Kentucky the edge there in that game. Now they could lose another, another game along the way. I think they probably will trip up and lose one more. But I think this is a 10-win Kentucky team, and I think this is a, a win that Georgia fans should be very, very satisfied with. I know Kirby hates that word, satisfied, but I think as a fan base – we should be pleased with this victory. And more than anything, the reason I call this a huge win. Yeah, Kurt, you're right. I think this kind of was a trap game coming into the season. I pointed at Kentucky early in the year. I actually going back in the preseason. I told you guys, I felt this was going to be a, a sneaky team that would probably finish second in the East. That was a prediction. I mean, I don't think I was the only person that said that, but that was how I felt about this team coming into the year. And I, therefore, I felt like this was a trap game going to the bye week, heading into Florida. Now, I think game day coming to town and SEC nation and like all the attention this game got being like the premier game of the day. I think that certainly helped alleviate that possibility, which was like one of the, you know, I don't really go to the game. I, I did that when I was a student. I don't really do that anymore, but like I was excited when game day came to town. First off, it allows us to showcase our university, showcase our program. All eyes are on Georgia. It gives you that kind of big program feel. You love that. But it also is kind of with Arkansas. These two games that could have potentially been trap games ended up maybe not being that way because you've got, Game day in town, premier game of the week. And also these are two like fringe top 10 teams. So I think that certainly kind of alleviated that to a, to a degree. But here's why it's so big, Curtis. Is it a stretch to say that we have now taken an absolutely firm control of the SEC East? No, it's not. And I actually said that um, as I was leaving the game, I was talking to someone. I was like, realistically, I was like, this gives us a firm grip on the East. I was like, you never wanted to come down to it, but the, like you kind of all said, said earlier, the old Georgia syndrome's thinking like, okay, this gives us some leeway. Yeah, I mean, crazy things happen. College football is a crazy sport. <laughs> Iowa, who I told you was smoke and mirrors, they just lost Purdue by, what, 17-24-7 at home, and their undefeated season, their start to the season is now over. I mean, they're out of the playoff conversation. You can't lose Purdue at home by 17 and still be the playoff conversation. You just can't be. It just doesn't happen. But – those kind of things happen. So you don't want to just completely write off the possibility. But still, look at the, the rest of this slate, Curtis. At this point, I told, and this is what I said last week. If we beat Kentucky, I felt this was a bigger game than the Florida game in Jacksonville in a couple of weeks. Because with Florida, now with Florida, three losses. But even before Florida had three losses, they had two losses. If we beat Kentucky, we could still somehow lose to Florida. Hope to God that doesn't happen. We had the opportunity to lose to Florida and still win the SEC East. But if you lose to Kentucky, and they're, they, that, they would have been undefeated still, no losses in these. They have to lose twice. I don't know if there are two losses on their schedule the rest of the way. They have Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and Mississippi State. I don't think they're losing two of those games. So if we lost this game, I truly believe that we were not going to go to Atlanta. That's why I say this is a huge victory for our program because this puts us in the driver's seat to make it to Atlanta. And make it to Atlanta, you're basically there in a – and look, you don't want to say it's it's a play-in game because, like, if we're undefeated going to that game, which who knows, we'll see what happens. But if we are, there's still potential that we could get in even if we lose that game. But it puts us in a spot to where we still control our own destiny. If you lose to Kentucky, all of a sudden your destiny is now out of your hands and you're sitting there waiting for Kentucky to lose. We have been in that position, Curtis. Think back to 2007, right? We were hoping Kentucky would beat Tennessee uh, so that we would end up in Atlanta and hopefully had a chance to win that game and end up in the national championship game. It didn't work out for us. We've been there. I hate that. I don't like when your destiny is not in your hands. So to win this game and keep our destiny in our hands, take firm control of the East. Nothing's done yet. Nothing's written in stone, but we are in as good a position as we can be in. What was your biggest takeaway from this latest win over Kentucky? When you left the stadium, what was the first thing that's running through your mind? Realistically, I kind of like the way to see our offense, you know, turn it around. Yeah, in the first half, I don't know if I was the only one. I was just, a, I was a little nervous 
the way the offense is playing because the fourteen seven game against Kentucky, you're giving them hope. Um, so I felt like I was just encouraged the fact that like we came out scored ten quick points, especially in the second third field goal, and I felt like the game was over at that point. Like I felt like we did a good job of almost. In the second, I mean, not only in the offense, but just in the second half, like closing the door. We didn't leave the door open for an upset, which is what you always see in upsets where teams just have hope. We didn't make the killer mistakes, you know, that, and that, that's one thing that we. And when we made mistakes, we fixed it. I mean, I still think of Kendall Milton's plays. Like, we just didn't make the, the game changing mistakes. Yeah, we didn't. Like, it's like, you know, I was talking about, I always, I've mentioned this a couple of times about Nebraska. I don't know why I keep talking about Nebraska, but I want to watch the play <laughs> just stands out. The catastrophic mistakes that they make, right, Curtis? Like, yeah, they're not about- a bad team, but they make catastrophic mistakes and it kills them and they lose games to teams they have no business losing to. And we are, we aren't doing that. I'm not saying we're perfect. Of course we're not. We make mistakes. I think we got a lot of things we got to clean up on and get better. We got to keep improving, keep moving forward, keep chopping all those things. But we're not making those catastrophic mistakes. I think that that's certainly a good way to look at it. And you're right, Curtis. I mean that that touchdown coming out to open the second half to give us a 14 point lead. That's huge, right? I mean that, that's a that's a huge. I want to say momentum swing. I don't think Kentucky had the momentum, but that really allowed us to seize control of that game. And that's certainly something that we did not relinquish from that point forward. Here's my biggest takeaway. First thing about this, man, I, I and, and like I know this, we people have talked about this. I'm not telling anyone anything that you haven't heard before, but it hasn't really hit me. It just kind of hit me walking out of the state, especially when you got Brock Bowers uh, with two awesome touchdown catches there, and all the guys that were missing. I'm sitting there watching the game, and you know we traditionally, typically rotate a lot of receiver. Did you see much ro- rotating a receiver this week, Curtis? Um, not really. You saw Justin Robinson really felt like come in only on running plays. But realistically, in the passing sets, you didn't see it because Burton and Rose, I think Rosemary came out from like not even a snap. Like he came out and then he called timeout because we had too many people out there. Yeah. Burton came but out. But realistically, for snap. I saw Jermaine out there for a snap. I, maybe more, but I, I remember specifically seeing him out there for one snap. Uh, but primarily, it was McConkie and it was uh, A.D. Mitchell. Those are the guys that we were rolling with. Think about that, Curtis. So our top three pass catchers right now are a true freshman wide receiver and A.D. Mitchell a true freshman tight end in Brock Bowers, and a redshirt freshman wide receiver in Lad McConkey, who no one even knew his name before maybe the Vanderbilt game, right? I mean, you have his Georgia yeah. fan. Those are our top three pass catchers right now. We are so banged up and so young, so inexperienced, especially on offense. I mean, we're not talking about defense, but on offense, so banged up, so young. We're, I mean, we're banged up on defense too now, but all those things are true, banged up, young, but we're still so dominant. And that kind of hit me walking out of the stadium. It's like, man, we have our best football ahead of us. And that's scary, right? Think about the rest of the country right now. I mean, it's there's a lot of football left to be played. There's no guarantee. We, we gotta, we've got to beat a lot of good teams to ultimately accomplish what we want to accomplish. But the general consensus out there, among even national media members now, is that Georgia's the best team in the country. You and I have been saying that really since, you know, week one or two, even when Alabama was ranked number one. But now I think, you know, obviously after Alabama lost staying in, them, that's the general consensus right now. And the scary thing is, Curtis, I think our best football is ahead of us. Do you agree with me there? Oh, 100%. I mean, we, this bye week couldn't come at a better time to get, you know, people. I feel like everyone's on the, the, you know, on the cusp of coming back healthy. And so, like, this bye yeah. week is at the perfect time. But I don't think – you know, people are like, oh, Florida's going to be coming in angry after loss. But Florida better watch out because we're about to get a lot of weapons that people hadn't seen in a while back healthy and all across the they board. They don't have like, it on tape either. Let's just put that out yeah. there. And, and not only that, but we had these guys coming back healthy after people like A.D. Mitchell and Ladd and all them are getting reps to eat also. So you're not going to see a drop-off like you, you're you used to with most teams when they you know a few backups come in to spell people or something. Totally agree. Totally agree. So I just and look, we're, I didn't even mention we have a we have a back guy. Well, and, who and not only that, but you think of what season, Coach Monk, right now. Well, yeah, you think of what Coach Monken's doing as you're talking. I mean, you know, you're talking about all these backups we're having. It made me think about two years ago when you know when Cager went out, how bad our offense was just because that one guy because yeah. we had a terrible offensive coordinator, and you have Todd Monken who we're you know as you talk about we're scooping the bottom of the barrel like with what we have left, and yet we're still doing things. Yeah, we, uh, in 2019, we still had George Pickens out there for most of the season, and we, we still couldn't move the football. I mean, we're, we're I, mean, I don't want to say scraping the bottom of the barrel, but we're talking about A.D. Mitchell's a three-star. Right? But you I'm know what I'm saying? Like, when you're, 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 depth, you're, you're really testing your depth. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're having to rely on guys that we probably weren't necessarily planning to rely on. 
Um, and they're playing significant snaps. I mean, seriously, I, I mean, I don't have the I didn't go do the snap count. I haven't done that yet. I haven't had a chance to do that. I did my first watch. I didn't go do the snap count. But, I mean, just watching it there, I mean, in the stadium, on the first watch through today, the rewatch, I mean, the vast majority of, of offensive snaps. You had Lad McConkey, A.D. Mitchell out there. Of course, we were going with some 12 personnel, two tight end looks, 13 personnel with three tight ends. But and that's, that's just crazy to me. It's like, we're really good. Now, I think there's some things we got to improve on. We'll talk about that more during the bye week. But we're really good, obviously, number one in the country. And it's kind of just scary to think that I still believe that our best football is ahead of us. Getting all these guys back uh, and just and just cleaning up with all these young guys. I mean, McConkie's going to get better. AD's going to get better. And this is insane. Brock Bowers is going to continue to get better. And yeah. we're still sitting here number one. So we're in a really, really good position right now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Now, but all right, let's move on here, Curtis. And it was another dominant performance from the defense. Yes, Kentucky did get in the end zone twice, which I was really annoyed by that late in the game, but whatever. Uh, but we did hold them to 243 total yards, which is now the fifth time on the year that we've held a team under 300 yards of total offense. We're also now holding teams. I'm going to give CBS credit for this. They had this graphic up here. I saw this on the rewatch. We're now holding teams to 21 points per game below what they are doing against everyone else that they play. So, Kirk, simple question here, man. Defensively, I mean, there's just not much more to be said about our defense, but let's let's try to add something to it here. Why were we able to shut down yet another offense on Saturday? Made him play left-handed. You took away – Chris Rodriguez had seven carries for seven yards. We've mentioned already yeah. that's the leading rusher in the SEC, and he had one yard a carry. And that's what we've been doing all year. That's the key. Like we Obviously, we've been elite stopping the run. And we've been – I will say we've been fortunate that the teams that we've played to this point – all are kind of built around the run game, whether you're talking about Arkansas, whether you're talking even going to UAB, um, talking about Auburn last week, Kentucky. These teams don't necessarily feature dynamic passing offenses and for their offenses to actually operate and function like they need to function, they have to establish a run and teams just can't do that against us. So that has been fortuitous for us to be able to play against teams that just kind of fit what we do defensively. Their strength on our strength, our strength is just stronger than your strength. It's that simple. But you're right, Curtis, it's – that's why I felt really good coming to this game all week. Of course, I get to the, I get to the you know the game on Saturday, and, you, and then the nerves start coming, the butterflies start coming in full gear. But I felt good all week. I told you guys last week on the show, I felt good about this game. I mean, Kentucky was capable of beating us if we did not play well, if we did if we pulled Nebraska and just made catastrophic mistakes and that kind of thing. But this is it was to me a very similar story to what happened with Auburn and Arkansas. They had to establish a one, and I did not think they would be able to. But I mean, I didn't see Curtis. Did you see seven carries? Seven yards on seven carries for the SEC's leading rusher in this game. I don't know if I saw that kind um, of dominance. I didn't see that kind of dominance. I thought maybe under 50 would be – like if, they, if we held him under 50, I would have been happy because he was averaging like 175. Yeah, I mean, we held the, we held them to 51 yards on the ground on 27 carries. I mean, they just basically stopped running the ball in the second half because they just couldn't. Uh, 1.9 yards per attempt. So just another dominant performance against the run. And that's, you know, and that's one of the things I said a couple weeks ago too. I think you were on this as well, Curtis. Like you look at the schedule and like you can never take anything for granted, you know, and anyone can lose on any given Saturday in college football. It happens. We've seen it. But if you look at our schedule the rest of the way, I just don't see those teams on our schedule in the regular season 
that are going to be able to challenge us through the year. Because I think if you're going to beat our defense, that's how you're going to have to do it. I'm not saying that like that is like a, a massive weakness of ours in the secondary, but it, we're certainly not as strong in you're the gonna secondary. Have be, you're going to have to be closer balanced or like better, not, not only balanced, but more scared, like more frightening in the passing game. They have to be able to stress us. Yeah. In more yeah, than one way. Like, you, yeah. 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 And like you, like you said, Curtis, you, you nailed it. Like we have been able to force all these teams, all these offenses to play left-handed, which is try to be the pass and they can't do it. They, you know, it's, it's just really hard to be anybody when you're one dimensional, but it's really hard to be the best defense in the country when you're one dimensional. It's almost impossible. So um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really what it came down to. Now I, I, I we love this defense. Defense is awesome. But we, we got to be objective here, Curtis. You know, like we don't, you know, we got to make sure that these guys are staying on their toes a little bit. They did go on a 22 play, 75 yard touchdown drive that ate up like an insane 11 minutes and 23 seconds late in the fourth quarter. And it ultimately ended in a touchdown pass to Wandale Robinson with four seconds left. They converted four fourth down, four third downs and two fourth downs on that drive. And I, 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 we're totally nitpicking here. Yes, that's kind of what we're forced to do when you're talking about Georgia's defense because we are so dominant. But how much did it concern you? Maybe it didn't concern you at all to sit there and watch that, you know, basically the entire fourth quarter. Well, what what really bothered me um, about our defense that we hadn't really seen in a while is I kind of felt like the D-line wasn't playing with um, discipline. Um, you know, so we talked about Jalen Carter. I mean, the guy made some great plays, especially the sack and things, but there were some times where he was a little bit, a little happy shooting the gap and um, leaving them some lanes. Um, especially when it came to uh, the quarterback moving up in the pocket, I just felt like we didn't play with great discipline. I think I'm glad you mentioned that, Curtis, because that's something over the past couple weeks I've really noticed. Too. Even going back to Clemson, we are playing very different philosophically on defense right now. We, you know, Kirby for a long time has been, you know, primarily a man kind of guy. He'll do he'll do some pattern match and three match kind of stuff. But he likes he likes his two man. You know, when you got two deep safeties. And then you've got like a two deep shell. Then you play a man underneath. He likes that a lot. You know, once press man on the outside, you can go back to the Alabama days. We we're still doing a lot of that, but we're also working in more zone than we have in the past. And up front, we're doing a lot of things differently philosophically as well. Because we talked about many times in the past, like havoc rate. How many times have you heard that buzzword, right? Havoc rate, and not just oh, this so, year. Uh, so so many times, so. right? In the past couple of years, because we haven't been doing it right. This year's been different, and yeah, personnel is a big part of it, certainly. But we're doing things differently, too. For a long time, I mean, Kirby going back to his Alabama days, it was a two-gap system. Like You had guys like, like Mount Cody, Terrence Cody, in the middle of the Alabama defense, where you're just trying to eat up space. You're two-gapping, right? You're not trying to penetrate. You're not one, like a one-gap. You're more of like you're trying to be more disruptive, trying to penetrate, that kind of thing. We haven't done that traditionally here at Georgia. We really have not. We've had some guys I think could have done more of that, but we – like like. I don't know. I just think we, we should have done more of that in years past. We've been really good, so it's hard to argue with the results. But this year, we've kind of taken the, the, the reins off. Like, we've unleashed those guys, and we're not doing near as much two-gapping. Even Jordan Davis. Go back and watch the replay, guys. Jordan Davis is one-gapping quite a bit. Like, he's actually, you know, first step, get off, get back there, get in the backfield, create havoc, you know, disrupt what quarterback, the running back, whatever's happening, tackle his We're putting a premium on that stuff, and we're allowing those guys to go out and play. Because we have a guy like Jalen Carter – who is a freak out there in terms of his quickness and athleticism out there, and they just can't be blocked. If you allow him to do that, he's going to create some, some havoc. And you're right, Curtis, it did hurt us on that last drive a couple of times. And there are other points in the game as well. But I will say it's also one of the reasons why we're creating so much havoc and why we're being so disruptive and why we're leading the league in sacks coming this season. It's something that I've been calling for and a lot of our listeners have been calling for for a long time. And uh, we're seeing a lot, a lot more. Now that we're still doing some two-gap stuff at times, and Jordan Davis is still doing that at times. But we're we're one gapping and letting those guys. I don't want to say rush with reckless abandon, but we're giving them more freedom there to be disruptive. And that, but there is a downside. That Curtis, you're right. You're allowed the quarterback. You kind of create some of those rushing lanes. If you play a quarterback who's mobile, um, like we did with Bo Nix, and like we're going to play with like Emmy Jones or, or Anthony Richardson, whoever it's going to end up being in Levis to a degree, those guys can exploit that at times. Uh, we're fortunate. We just ha- I, and I think one of the reasons we're we're kind of unleashing those guys is the speed that we have behind them, right? Does that make sense, Curtis? Like, we just trust those guys to track Yeah, them I agree, because, I mean, you you even saw it where they're trying to get to the edge on Quay, and I was like, if you want to attack Quay, you need to go right at him. You can't go at the edge on someone like him, and especially yeah. Nicobe and Tyndall. We both know their speed also. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing more zone, too, is, like, we're being more aggressive up front. And not even, I'm not talking about blitzing. We rarely blitz. You guys know, you've heard me talk about this before. It's a blitz Traditionally, what that means is you're bringing more than four rushers. 
We rarely bring more than four rushers. Now, it might look like we're bringing more than four rushers, but rarely do we bring more than four. Now, we'll, we'll do some simulated pressures where we're showing this guy, showing that guy, and guys are dropping and we're doing different things. We keep the offense guessing. They don't know who's coming, which is – I mean, all you're trying to do is affect the offense, and that affects it. And if you can do that without having to bring extra bodies, you want to do that. But we're being more aggressive – with how we're playing up front. And I think to kind of count, like, you know, to support that, you play a little bit more, I don't want to say, I don't want to say conservative in the back end, but in some ways, yeah, you play a little bit more zone. So you're not giving up those big plays, especially when you got some young guys in secondary, you got like Dan Jackson back there. And uh, of course, Keely oh, Ringo. God. So I, I think when you're like, when you have that kind of aggressiveness up front, you like guys to do that. You have to be a little bit more cautious in the back. End. I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing us play a little bit more zone back there so far this year. Um, all right. So mention that, that long 22 play drive there, Curtis. I'm not freaking out about that, honestly, because for me, no, I'm like, we didn't, we didn't play that drive. We did not play defense like we normally like, like you know, like in terms of play calls, right? Like, I mean, we were content to allow them to take the underneath stuff, and that's why it was a twenty-two well, play seventy-five. Not only that, drive. but to score, they had, it took them almost over eleven minutes. Like, if, if you're gonna if it's gonna take you eleven minutes to do it, fine, go ahead. When we're up by twenty-something points, go ahead and take all your time. The game's over. Exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, sure, you're paper cutting us down the field. That's fine, but you're also down by three scores. Uh, three well, actually, what well, yeah, three plus scores, and you're basically using the entire quarter to get one score. So clearly, you're not trying to win the football game. You're just trying to like say, hey, we scored another touchdown on Georgia. Like that's literally what they were trying to do. Like no one has scored two touchdowns on us, and they were trying to say that they were the first to do that. Like they weren't even trying to win the game, which is sad and pathetic. But like that's where Kentucky is right now, I guess, in that situation. Um, but nah, so I, I'm not money on the game. Yeah, and it's also like when 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 a team has four downs to operate with, like you know they're going for it on fourth down, it just changes the way they call plays. It changes the way you play defense because now third down is like second down and fourth down is like it's like your third down. It's just a different scenario. It puts more pressure on the defense. So I, that's it was just – I don't want to call it garbage time because we did have a lot of starters out there still, most of the starters out there. But it, we just didn't – like on that drive, we were not playing defense like we played defense – every other series throughout the year. Um, Bush League, though, was that a Bush League move by Mark Stoops there to try to score with four seconds left like that? I think the timeout was especially, yeah. I mean, yeah. like I made the mention, he must have been – it must have been like another Brent Musburger situation where he's got money on the game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, I know we, we – I, I have heard I mean, from Kirby, a lot of our Kirby, listeners. Kirby nice. handled it gracefully. I will say Kirby handled it gracefully when they asked him about it. He's like, you know what, he's coaching to win. Even though I, mean, no, like, what, I mean, why does Kirby need to talk trash? It doesn't do him any good. It doesn't like help us in any yeah. way. Um, I understand why people will be upset by that. And I, we heard from a lot of people, a lot of our listeners who were upset and called it a Bush League. And I understand that. I, I think you make an argument there. But me, like, I don't know. Like, we always talk about how we want Kirby to score more in the fourth quarter, right? And so, like, to so sit on the ball because, you know, for a lot of reasons, especially the cultural playoff, like, optics matter. So if we – on one hand, we're going to say, hey, we wish Kirby would actually try to score more and stop just sitting on the ball and run the clock out in the fourth quarter and let guys actually go out there and play. It's hard to say that on one hand and have a problem with Mark Stoops trying to score with four seconds left. So, like, his job is to score. They're trying to score. We're trying to stop them. They scored. We didn't stop them on that drive. It is what it is. I don't – I don't honestly, personally, I don't have that much of an issue with it. I know some people do, and I totally respect that. I just, I mean, our job's to stop them. Their job's to score. Now calling timeouts with four seconds left. I understand that. My issue more, like if I was a Kentucky fan, I'd be like, dude, you weren't even trying to win the game. Like you took 11 minutes to score one time, 22 plays. Like you're not, like, what are you guys even doing? That would be my problem if I was a Kentucky fan. But it's a Georgia fan, like whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm pissed they scored because I didn't want it to happen, but I don't, I don't, I don't have too much of an issue. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, let's move on to the offensive side of the ball here, Curtis. It's the same story, man. It's the same story that it's been the past three weeks. Run the football, 
force them to commit bodies to the box, create man coverage opportunities, take shots off of play action against man coverage, hit shots off of play action against man coverage, score touchdowns, grind clock, let the defense suffocate people. That has been the formula for the past couple weeks. And I said it last week. I'll say it again, Curtis. This is the 2017 formula, but with better personnel outside and especially at tight end. I mean, look at some of these numbers, Curtis. So last three weeks. Okay, so these are the last three weeks for Georgia offensively. So we threw the ball seven time, 11 times. We're 7 of 11 for 72 yards passing. Ran the ball for 273 yards and 345 yards to offense in Arkansas. Last week against Auburn, 14, 21 through the air, 231 yards, 201 yards rushing. And 432 yards total offense this week, 14 and 20 through the air, 250, 166 yards rushing, 416 total offense. Go back to 2017. I'm just going to pick some random games in 2017. So South Carolina, 16 and 22, 196 yards through the air, 242 yards rushing, 438 total yards. Um, let's say Auburn, it's the SEC championship game, 16 and 22, 183 yards, uh, 238 yards rushing, 421. Curtis, this is the exact same formula that we used in 2017 all right my question is this we got close to a national title with that formula in 2017 now we had different running backs very different running backs but can we win a national title or even an sec title in 2021 following this formula well the fact is i say yes and it's not about following the formula it's the fact that if we had to drop back and throw the ball 30 times i think we still can do it i don't know if we had that ability to still win a game in 2017 where this i believe now we could still win a game if we had to throw the ball 30 times when healthy because i think i agree yeah well when healthy when healthy yes and i think that's the biggest thing is that that especially with todd munkin you're seeing where he can he's almost like a lizard out there i mean whatever situation he's in he can find a way to camouflage it and make it fit in and that's exactly what he's doing and that's the thing, and I, and I think that's actually why it's going to be hard to game plan against him realistically when you think about it, because he could do so many different things. He can come out and do what he did against Kentucky some of these teams, but I believe he could also easily draft up a plan where you're throwing 30 to 40 times. We've seen it. I mean, JT was starting in the year. I mean, South Carolina, we were throwing the ball 30-plus times. I mean, against Clemson, we are throwing the ball 30-plus times. I mean, it, 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 coming out of that Clemson game, what was I screaming about? We didn't run the ball enough, right? And now yeah, it. with, with the injuries, we have to run the football. With injuries at receiver and quarterback, we're running the football, and – we're able to do it. But you said it perfectly, Curtis. That's exactly my sentiment. That's exactly where I am right now. Yeah, that's been the formula the past three weeks, but it doesn't have to be the formula the rest of the year if we need to do something different. We have the ability to win in different ways. We've won in different ways this year already. Now, the last three weeks have been very similar formulas, and I, and I think there's some context there. We're going to get into that here in just a second. But, yeah, absolutely. We Even if we have to operate our offense like this every single game the rest of the year, 100% we can win national title. Because you know what, mm-hmm. Curtis? Teams have to score points to beat us. You know what I mean? Like to win games. Well, not only that, but not only that, but you compare it. I mean, he may have been a five star, but Isaac Nada is nowhere near the tight ends we have now. I mean, the fact is, we you kind of mentioned it. Our personnel is better. Absolutely. At certain positions, not across the board. I mean, we've still missed those two great running backs. Yes, but across the board, there's more talent. Oh, 100%. 100%. And like, I think. Until we play someone that can challenge us more through the air and put up a lot of points, because we're going to play somebody that can score. Right? We're, we're going to play somebody that can score 20 plus points on us. It's going to happen, guys. Get ready for it. I know it sucks. Hey, maybe it won't happen. That'd be awesome. But, like, I, you know, it's likely at some point we'll play somebody good that can actually score. And that will probably happen. And we're going to have to be able to outscore those teams. But until we play someone that can put up serious points and really stress us in different ways, in, in a way that teams that we play at this point haven't, I, why can't we win with this formula? I mean, again, we almost won the national title. We were overtime away from winning a national title in 2017 with, I think, inferior personnel across the board. We were a much more talented Boy, we didn't team right even now. Have the, we didn't even have the defense back then that we do now. No, our defense like, wasn't I mean, it, it was right weird because at one point I was watching the game. This sounds terrible. And talking about the defense, there was a play where Lewis seen kind of, you know, did what he did, what safeties are supposed to do with the safety protection over the top and makes the play. And it's him and Kendrick coming back. And I was like, uh-huh. So that's how safeties are supposed to play, not let guys just go wide open for game-winning touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's – um, yeah, man, why don't you just bring that up, dude? But like it happened and you're like, oh, so like that's what it's supposed to be like. That's what it's supposed to look like, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that 2017 team was great. They were awesome. I love those guys. They put us back on the map in a big way. But this team is just better. And look, again, I keep saying it. Nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. We're going to have to go out there and win. We're going to have to go out there and beat some really good football teams. But 
Can we win a national title with this offensive formula? A- absolutely. With this defense, with the personnel we have, and especially once we get healthy, absolutely. I mean, even think about this, Chris, with all the injuries we have on offense right now, we're still a mash unit out there. We had eight plays of 20 or more yards. We're still finding ways to create explosive plays, even with all the injuries. Imagine when we get those guys back. I mean, think about it, Curtis. Well, it, what, Washington what, is still not 100%. What's killed me is you saw, I saw something, a tweet recently. I can't remember who it was, or but it was so true. They're like, oh, Kentucky's now, or Tennessee's now scoring, you know, I can't, I think it was like 35 points a game, may have been more. And they're like, their offense is really coming on. And it's like Georgia, 31 points a game. And eh, their offense just really hasn't shown us enough. We're not sure if they're going to oh get God. more, better. Because we're murdering people. We don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But it, but it's the uh, fact of it. Like they still don't give you the credit, even though we are. I mean, there's always gonna be somebody trying to. I mean, whether you're George, whoever it is, there's always gonna be somebody trying to knock you down. That's fine. All we, all we gotta do is win. All we keep doing is winning, and we just need to keep doing that, and then eventually we'll shut everybody up. Even if we keep winning, we're probably not ever gonna shut everyone up. But you know, it doesn't matter, right? Trophies end up talking. Yeah. We can get that knock on. Their win. argument will be what took so long or something. Yeah, they'll always be some sort of argument. Yeah, like when, yeah, when they can't see 1980 anymore, there'll be there'll be something they can say. Well, oh, you only got one since 98 or whatever. It'll be there'll be some something they fabricate, but whatever. It doesn't even matter to me. Uh, all right, guys, talk about Stetson here, Curtis, real quick. Stetson, 14 of 20, 250 yards, three touchdowns, 12.5 yards per attempt. All like eerily similar numbers, almost identical numbers to last week at Auburn. I think it was 14 of 21 for like 230 something at Auburn, two touchdowns. Uh, but last week, Curtis, you said that you still think JT Daniels, a healthy JT Daniels, gives us a better chance to win. I think, Curtis, that this is going to become a weekly question until we see JT again. Did Stetson make you any more of a believer this week? Are you still saying JT's the guy? I still am saying that JT's the guy because, I mean, if you go back to that first drive, um, two terrible throws. Um, and, I mean, I know I'm nitpicking, but the fact is, like, the one with Brock could have easily been a pick six or something. You throw it over the top with the safety coming over the help top, you can't do that. you got to throw it low away from the safety. We're lucky the safety only knocked that ball down because, you know, especially with the tight end turning in that situation, safeties can easily come over the top. And then you have A.D. Mitchell, you know, right pretty open. pretty open for Which a first a, he down. Had, he had a, a, at least a step. It should have been you – gotta, you gotta, he has to complete that pass. That pass has to be completed. Yes, yeah. I agree. Well, and then, I mean, and, you know, and I know I'm just nitpicking at this point, but, like, and J.T. will still make mistakes, yes. But the fact is, even when he's perfect, I don't know if his perfect is as good as J.T.'s. I mean, and there are some completions yeah. he got, like, the, on the very first drive of the second half that – that catch by Darnell, that was just because Darnell's a huge guy with some big hands. Most people aren't going to catch the ball off the ground like that. And he needed to hit Darnell in stride so Darnell can use a big body. And keep yeah, Darnell could have been walking. Darnell yeah. could have been, you know, running, still running at this point. But yeah, he, but yet, I will say, Stetson made some good throws. Like that second, that second touchdown, the to Brock was a great throw. Um, Brock wasn't looking, but he read it, hit him in, in a perfect position. That was a great throw. Incredible now, anticipation. The first touch on the Brock, yeah, great anticipation, great throw. Now, the first touch on the Brock. I don't know. Um, I mean, he, he put it in a, a position where it gave Brock a chance to make a play on the ball, but I also just want to give Brock credit because that was just an amazing catch. The, the balance, especially from a tight end, you know, most of the time you see receivers, you know, sometimes struggle with that play, but he's a tight end. Um, so it worked out. Um, but I still it, it was a great that. catch. That was also a really good throw, too. I mean, that, let's give Tessin credit. Yeah, that was exactly, especially because he, he was actually flat-footed on that throw because he was looking for the seam, great but ball. there was the hold um, and went outside. and He was kind of flat-footed. Um, so I want to give Stetson his due because I do believe he made some good throws. And like when I talk about how like when I say these things, it's never that I'm trying to say that he's not good or anything. But I still believe a hundred percent healthy Stetson is not as good as a hundred percent JT. I do think we're nitpicking a little bit because like when we're when we're basically going like every single throw the guy makes it. Well, that was a good throw. That was a bad throw. Like we don't well, want that. For and the thing is that what, but that's what people want now. And that, but that's what and, and that's what people are wanting, and I hate it. Um, yeah, it's not it's not fair to the guy. It's just not fair to the guy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Not be happening. Well, because yeah, because people you're almost having to like tear him down, and, and that's the thing. Like I, I think he played a really good game, and he you know didn't cost us the game. Um, and so I don't, and I, I, it's just it sucks because I wish JT was healthy. Just the fact of just kind of puts this to bed because it's an. I all, do it's agree be an with you that issue. JT is. I, I, st- I still say that JT gives us a better chance to win. I said last week, the one thing I haven't seen from Stetson is I haven't seen him go out there and beat a team with his arm like and put the team on his back when he has to. And maybe he won't ever have to. Uh, but I've seen that from JT. But I, I, again, I also say what I said last week too. I don't think there's a massive gap between the two. I think we can win a national championship with Stetson. Last week, Curtis, you said that you didn't think we could. Have you changed your tune at all? Do you still No, think because that- I still think if you play Oklahoma or someone, you're going to have to score more. I mean, as good as our defense is, they're going to put pressure, and you're going to have to throw 30-plus times 
and I still am not a believer in if that being that. the case that he can lead us to the win. We haven't seen him do it. I don't well, because I know because the thing is like even he, he's play, he's done better this year, but you still see that gunslinger in him where he's wanting to put it in windows, especially if the game's tight or something. Like yeah. we haven't really seen him have to play a game where the game was truly tight either, which has been nice yeah. for him. He's kind of played yeah. in a little bit not a stressful situation. Yeah, he played on the road at Auburn and things like that, but the games have never truly been in doubt where we need had to have him to win the game. Do you think you and I were talking about this off the air um, earlier this week? So Stetson threw the ball eleven times, twenty-one times, and twenty times the last three weeks. No more than twenty-one times in the last three games. We've won all those games going away, multiple touchdowns. Do you think the fact that we're only throwing the ball 20, 21 times, whatever, is that lack of trust in Stetson from the coaching staff? And, the, and that's why we're not throwing the ball as much, or is it more of a game plan specific thing? What do you make of that? Arkansas game, I think we didn't trust him because if you notice after he almost threw that one pick um, to Brock, we kind, we kind of didn't throw as much. Um, I did notice that. Now, Auburn in Kentucky, I think the fact was we kind of started wearing him down. Um, but I think it's game plan, yes, but at the same time, we're also not want to put him in a situation where you can easily change the landscape of the game with a turnover. I think that's fair, that's- but I, the Arkansas game, I told you guys coming into that week, the, the game plan against Arkansas had to be to run the football. And I think if JT was Oh, no, I agree, game, but if, it felt like we, it felt like we only threw it when we truly had to after that scare because we were, like, we were taking control of the game. And you didn't want to yeah. give Arkansas any hope of any trying to get back into it. So we kind of, at that point, we're like, all right, we're going to run the clock out. Yeah, and you just factor in all the injuries and then how we, like, we get up on these teams early. And, you know, obviously. See, that's the thing, too. Like, I, like I, I mentioned earlier, like, we're getting ahead of teams. So we're never truly in doubt at the moment. So we're not asking him to, like, go out and throw so many throws on a drive. Or we're almost more or less trying to break people's will, which we've used the run game to do. And we haven't needed the pass game to do it. So it's, it's yeah, kind of been like a it's been a very nice luxury for him. Where I mean, maybe he won't. I don't think anyone's afraid of the pressure or things like that. So I'm not saying that, but I think the fact is like we have also not had to put the ball in his hands and you know pray you know say hey go win us. Yeah, I agree. So like I, I yeah we haven't done it. We haven't had to put the ball in his hands like that. But I don't think it's really about the coaches not being trusted. I think it's more reflection of of the game plan and what we've had to do to win these games and just how these games have gone. Honestly, like we've gotten up in the yeah, especially Arkansas. I mean, we got up on them quick, so running out the clock worked because we built such a lead so quick on them. Auburn, you know, we were more we were balanced, but at the but that last drive where we broke their will, ran the ball every single play. We didn't need the passing attack, and then Kentucky, you know, we were kind we struggled in the first half. Let's be honest. I mean, um, offensively, just as a whole, they were very defense, stable. Though, man. That's a good defense. Yeah, but you saw what they're better, more capable of when they executed in the second half. Sure. Yeah, I, I, one of them, we, I know we're running out of time. I know you got to get out of here, so we'll go to game ball in just a second. One more thing I want to add about Stetson. I want to make sure everybody knows this, guys. There's, there's this like narrative out there that Stetson can't push the ball for down the field. Our offense like has to change, and and we, we don't have the vertical passing game with him in the game. That's crazy, guys. He's leading the SEC right now in yards per attempt, 12.1 yards per attempt. This guy is pushing the ball down the field more than any quarterback in the SEC right now. Okay, so that and I'm not saying he has the strongest arm in the league. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what that's about. But we. It's not like we have like half the field's been taken away from us. It's like it's not like that we can't attack the field, you know, twenty yards plus down the field. We are doing that. Twelve point one yards per attempt, leading the SEC right now. So I just want to put that out there. All right, Curtis, game balls, man. Um, who gets your first game ball? I'm going Kendall Milton. The fact is, that him uh, jumping on that fumble could have really changed the game. Say Kentucky gets it, and they, you don't know if they go down and drive. But the fact is, they help if they we don't score in that situation. It easily could have been seven seven at halftime, and that's a completely different game. Yeah, I he was he I, he was actually number two on my list. I was hoping you would go with Brock Bowers so I could so I could give Kendall some love. But I is it a stretch to say that was the biggest play in the game? I think it was. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but the fact is, like it al- allowed us to score and build up a lead and kind of. I don't know. I just feel like it w- it could have been a turning point. Well, I mean, what a heads up play. I mean, he came. It wasn't like he was like right next to the ball and just jumped on it. No, he, he was ran a good field 15. and ran yeah, to he it. Ran, he ran a good a long way to get to that ball. The ball was like in the middle of the field. He was on the, I, it was close to the other hash and he was on the, he was on one hash and he ran across the field and got to it. So head in the game, focus. I love that. Also had a 35 yard run and a big explosive run. Really happy to see that from Kendall. I wish he could have a chance to get more care, more carries. They had four carries. We only had like 40 something plays. We had under 50 plays in this game. 
So, uh, yeah, he's definitely on my list. That's a good one. I'm going to go with the obvious one here, Brock Bowers. Another 100-yard receiving guy from Brock Bowers. Two touchdowns. One awesome catch there. Uh, there were some some plays like he's a very willing blocker, and he's gotten much better at it as the season has gone on. Oh, he got chewed out at one point. Yeah, there were a couple of blocks that he missed, and a couple of them could have been big plays. And that's what we've been talking about all year. Why have we not been more explosive in the run game? We've been running the ball well, but why haven't we not hit those like chunk explosive plays? We're not blocking as well in the perimeter wide receiver and tight end as we have in the past. Bowers is getting better, but there were a couple where, um, yeah, it wasn't the best look. Uh, and that's all right. He's going to get better. It's going to happen. And he's still – I mean, honestly, right now, Curtis, like who's better at tight end in America than him? Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, maybe? Maybe? I don't know. Uh, all around, yeah, that's about the only one. I mean, Bowers is – he's a beast, man. I mean, what else can we say about this guy? And what we do with, with multiple tight ends, like that, that – it's it's so awesome to see. I know we're injured right now. It's more credit to Todd Munkin here, but we had a 12 personnel look on his on his second touchdown catch. So they had Kentucky, when we have big personnel like that, they have to respond with, big, with bigger defensive personnel to stop the run because we're going to run the ball on you if you don't. And they had base personnel in there. So we were able to get him matched up with an outside linebacker. And it's it's game over. Game over. They can, An outside linebacker cannot defend Cannot cover Brock Bowers. Isaac Nauta, yeah, could have covered him. Not Brock Bowers. Just a different dude, man. Absolutely different dude. All right, who's up next for you? Um, I am going to go with Darion Kendrick. I thought, you know, they challenged him quite a bit. And I felt like he responded and played some good ball, um, especially, the, you know, the one play where the receiver's getting in it and they're going down to the ground and Kendrick comes in and gets his hand in there. Uh, I just thought, you know, they challenged him and I thought he responded. And we haven't given, you know, we haven't really talked about him much. And so I kind of think – he yeah, is up for one call. in this game. Good call. I think the entire secondary did a really good job containing Wondell Robinson, who is an electric playmaker. I mean, I think half of his plays this year, according to Kirby Smart, I don't know what they classify as explosive, are, or explosive plays. I mean, if you watch him play, you've seen that. So we did a really good job. Yeah, he had that touchdown catch, whatever. We really, really, really limited him in a big way. He did not get those explosive chunk plays, which is what he's done for them all year. I think we held him to 39. Yeah, he had 12 catches, but for 39 yards. Kendrick's a big part of that. The entire secondary was a big part of that. So, yeah, definitely good call there. Um, for me, I'm going to go Jalen Carter. He's been on this list before. Jalen Carter will be on this list every single game. This guy is a wrecking machine. He's an absolute wrecking ball out there. Uh, he can do it with speed, quickness. He can do it with physicality. What do you have? Two and a half tackles for loss in this game. Had a sack. I think people are starting to realize why you and I had him. I know there's some eyebrows raised when we did this in the preseason. We had him inside our top five in our list of best players on Georgia's football team. And he hadn't even really started yet. And I think people are starting to see why. This guy's a monster. He's a future first-round draft pick. I mean, just a freaking monster. We have a whole defensive line of monsters, but that guy is a freak. All right, Kurt, we'll get your last one. All right, my last one is – um, I got to go with Zeus. Um, I thought the guy came out and played real hard. Um, he had that – especially that nice touchdown run. He showed great vision, which is the one thing that I kind of was hard on him before, and so I, I want to give him some due also in this situation, I think – you know, week in, week out, he's really responded. He just can become a different player, man. Yeah, on that long touchdown run, he showed outstanding vision there. Now, we did a great job. It was a, a beautiful play. That's God's play, man. It's power play where you block down and you have – you got two pullers coming in the back. So I think it was a tight end in the guard in this situation. And uh, pull out, kick out. And but Zeus saw the hole, made the cut, boom, game over, touchdown. Beautiful play. He's playing awesome, man. Love Zeus. Love him. All right, I got – well, I guess I got two more. I'll give you one. I'll give you my third, and I'll give you a bonus one. So my third game ball is going to go to a coach. It's going to go to Todd Munkin. I've told you earlier this season, I think he's a difference maker on this team that no one really nationally is talking about right now because they focus so much on our defense. But this guy is absolutely making a difference. Curtis, you did a great job of kind of explaining, identifying some of the things that he's doing for our offense right now, especially with all the injuries and how we're able to kind of look different offensively and do things differently, win differently based on the personnel that we have on hand in any given game and based on the defense that we are playing. That is the mark of a great coordinator. Taking what he has on hand, designing game plans that will exploit what the opposing defense doesn't do well and just find a way to win and still be productive and still generate the number of explosive plays. I think we had eight plays of 20 or more yards on Saturday against a really good Kentucky defense and we were Yet again, extraordinarily short hand on that side of the ball. He did it all last year, and it just didn't really get noticed because we struggled on offense at times and some of the issues that we had. Obviously, we don't want to dive back into those all over again. You guys know how last year went. 
But Todd Munkin, and we talked about this last year, was just dying up plays left and right consistently, game in and game out, all last season. Now, did we consistently make those plays when he dialed them up? Absolutely not. This year, though, we are hitting on those at a much higher rate than we were last year, but he's still doing exactly what he was doing last year. He's just dialing up play after play after play, generating explosive plays, winning however we have to win, and doing whatever we got to do to find ways to score enough points to win football games. We are very lucky to have him. It's a breath of fresh air considering the first couple coordinators of Kirby Smart's tenure, and I just hope that we can hold on to him for at least a couple more years. I don't know how confident I am that that's going to happen, but I, I certainly hope. I can hope, right? And then my final game ball today goes to someone who's not on the team, but certainly connected to the team, and that is Miss Traley Hale. If you guys don't already know, that is the mother of Keely Ringo, who has been battling cancer for a little while now. And she's either getting ready to or has just recently embarked on another round of chemo. It's obviously Breast Cancer Awareness Month in October. And there was a call for a pink out. Didn't really get to the masses. But the student section was kind of pinked out to a degree. At least the Spice Squad, those guys were, were doing that. And uh, it was a really great thing to see them to support Traley Hale in that way. And I actually saw her. I don't know if she was there the entire game, but at least for a portion of the game, late in the game, she was down there with the Spice Squad in the student section uh, just having a great time. So that, that was awesome to see. And man, this woman is an absolute fighter. She's been fighting through this for a while now, gone through a couple rounds of chemo. Here she goes again, and she continues to have an incredible attitude and just this awesome spirit and fight. I don't know the woman at all, but just following her on social media and seeing how, how and just kind of following the process and her journey through this, it's been really inspiring. So I want to give Traley Hale a shout out here, give her a game ball for how she continues to fight and continues to inspire people all throughout the Bulldog Nation and beyond the Bulldog Nation as well. And as, uh, I know that she, I'm sure she doesn't listen to our show, but Traley, if you're listening, if Worsma gets back to you, we're with you. We got your back through this 100%. Just keep fighting. Keep doing what you do. And um, we're thinking about you all the time. So game ball, Traley Hale. All right, guys. That does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We are staring a bye week directly in the face here. It's kind of it's, it's always kind of a weird time because I don't know what to do with myself. Here we are like in the middle of football season, which is what I live for. And then it's like, oh, well, Georgia's not playing this week. And it is nice to have a little bit of a break because I do go about 7,000 miles an hour during football season trying to produce four episodes a week for you guys, full-time job, we're going to all the Georgia games, all that. It's a lot, but I love it. I live for it. It's like chaotic bliss. It's it's my time of year. It's when I come alive. And now, Charlie, she loves a good bye week. She loves the dogs, but she loves a good bye week as well. Um, so it's a, it'll be kind of that weird Saturday where I'm like at home, and it's like I feel like I should be in Sanford Stadium or I should be on the road somewhere else in the SEC. It's just kind of that weird vibe. I do want to put this out there though. So if you're like me and you're looking for something to do on Saturday, obviously I'm going to be watching college football from noon till probably 1 a.m. But if you're looking for something to do on Friday, Sunday afternoon, come up to Athens if you're in the area, bring the family and watch the women's tennis team play. It's totally free. They got a tournament going on this weekend here in Athens at the Damagill Tennis Complex. Then we got another contender on our hands again this year. It'll be your first chance to get a look at the 2021-2022 Georgia women's tennis team. We've got some new faces, some exciting new faces that are really highly rated players that have had a really good fall to this point. I'm excited to finally get a chance to see them in person. We've got some familiar names as well. I've got Meg Kowalski out there, Leah Ma playing court one. Anya Hurdle, who missed some, a chunk of time last year, has come back in a big way this fall. She just beat the number 16 player in the country. And it wasn't straight, so I think she lost the first set, but bounced back and won the, the second and third set, I think 6-2, 6-1, something like that. So she's playing really well right now. I'm excited to see what kind of progress that she's made. So if you're looking for something to do Friday, Sunday, maybe early Saturday morning before the games kick off, come up to Athens, Damonville Tennis Complex, and watch the Georgia women's tennis team. But all right, guys, that officially does the for us here today on the Glory J Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy your bye week. I know it feels weird for me. I'm sure it feels weird for you, but find a way to enjoy it. Make the most of it. And uh, we'll have you cover the rest this week. We probably aren't going to have four episodes this week. We'll definitely do a mailbag episode, and Charlie and I will definitely be back at the end of the week for our picks of the week. Games still being played, so we got we got to pick some games. Hopefully, we'll have a few more winners for you this week, and we'll see if we can find uh, time for another episode this week. Can't promise that, but we'll see what happens. But thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for all the support. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.